Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Michael Innes Jimenez, the author of Steel Barrio, The Great Mexican Migration to South Chicago, 1915 to 1940. I hope that you enjoy this interview with Mike. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. Today we'll be talking about the book Steel Barrio, The Great Mexican Migration to South Chicago, 1915 to 1940. Mike, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have read the book. Um, before we get to it, uh, maybe uh, you could talk just a little bit about um, where you are, what, what university you're affiliated with, where you were when you were writing the book. Uh, tell us about yourself. Well, this project started about 10 years ago in, uh, in graduate school at the University of Iowa. I was I decided I wanted to to take a look at a Midwestern Latino community and I was drawn to Chicago um, because of its diversity and, and the fact that there's more than one Latino neighborhood that's, that's distinct from the other. Uh, I, after I finished there, I taught in New Jersey for about four years, and I've been at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa since 2008. And this project, you know, I wrapped it up about a year ago. Great. Now, you're in an American Studies department. Are you trained as a historian? I am. Yeah, my, my degree is in history, and um, I've always been interdisciplinary in, in my teaching and my research. But and I, the position that I got at Alabama is as, as a professor in an American Studies department. Right. Okay, great. And, and I think the book really does speak to so many different disciplines, including political science. I think there's a lot of politics built into um, this specific story, but certainly political things that we can learn about immigration today, immigration politics, and, and, and things that are very contemporary. So let's get to the book. Um, why this time period, uh, 1915 to 1940? Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about your choice of that time period and maybe a little bit about what Chicago was like in this point in time. You know, what were um, Mexican uh, immigrants uh, arriving to? What did Chicago look like during this time? Sure. I, I started in 1915. 19, the, the book starts in 1915. The first significant, and by significant, I mean about 250 uh, Mexican immigrants come to the area or are brought to the area with by the uh, railroads that had lines in the southwest that were expanding in Chicago and needed maintenance of way workers. Um, and so that's the beginning of a Mexican presence. Mexican-American, when I use the term Mexican, I'm talking about both Mexican-Americans and Mexican immigrants, depending on how they identify themselves. Um, Again, the starting point is because that's when the community starts. Uh, It's Chicago at that point. uh, I mean, Mexican immigrants are just the the latest, in many ways, they're just the latest group of ethnic immigrants. In the neighborhood that I focus on, South Chicago, now, before before them, before the Mexicans, there had been um, Italians and, and German and Polish and 
you know, goes on and on. As, as most of us know, Chicago is a very rich, has a very rich history of working class immigrants. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. And, and uh, again, when I mentioned the diverse communities in Chicago, there were, there were three significant populations in Chicago. Um, the one I focus on is South Chicago, a community in back of the yard, which is a packing plant, you know, uh, in Clare's a jungle, you know, uh, 30 years, 40 years later. And um, the near west side are on Hull House. Those are the three main Mexican communities. And again, because of their industry, um, they look a lot, they look very different. They look, they feel different, although they're both very, very dirty working class neighborhoods that the city neglects. Because they're the the home of the of the newest immigrant group. Yeah, and and so what did Mexican immigrants uh, do for work when they arrived? Was there a sector that they were pulled into? You mentioned that they were pulled by the, the railroad industry, but but once in Chicago, were there was there a place that work was to be found? Um, those that came by by railroad would frequently jump their contract. They would be contracted along the border. Um, by an employment agency working for a railroad, and that would get them uh, an advance on the transportation and food up to wherever their workstation is going to be. And once people got to Chicago and saw what the opportunities were in the city, they would jump or skip their contracts and enter either the steel mills in South Chicago or meatpacking in back of the yards, or even uh, service sector uh, jobs, and most of those folks lived on the near west side and, and you know, did service sector jobs in hotels or in de- or downtown businesses, loop businesses. Yeah, and, and what was the, how welcomed to the city were these newcomers? Um, this is, as you mentioned, a very diverse city, but, but how would you characterize the different ways that that they were uh, initially uh, uh, viewed and, and welcomed uh, to Chicago? Um, very mixed. In most of the neighborhoods, it was negative because of, again, you know, they were the latest working class um, immigrant from the country. Uh, as Mexicans came into South Chicago, that gave the other groups a chance to move up the ladder. And there's this shifting scale of whiteness, you know, and by this time, the Irish are considered white. When they first came here, they weren't. The Germans and the Polish are moving up, and then you have the Mexicans who, if the darker-skinned Mexicans, really had a problem with being accepted. The, one of the reasons they came, were brought into South Chicago, aside from the railroads, were, were the steel mill strikes in 1919, and uh, because of the race riots, Steel mill managers in South Chicago were very hesitant to hire too many African Americans. There was the workforce there, but they were worried about riots by whites against the blacks in South Chicago, so they hired lighter skinned Mexicans. And so, you know, there's a lot of politics and a lot of race going on with these decisions of who to hire. Now, one of the the features of the book, is is the organizations uh, that welcomed Mexican immigrants. 
Um, and, and you write about some of the, these very specific groups that were in place and, and provided a whole range of services. Are there any specific groups that stand out to you that you might describe uh, how they were formed, uh, what they did? Do they look like the types of organizations that we would see today in Chicago providing for uh, more recent uh, Mexican or immigrants in general? Well, I'll, I'll uh, answer that from the end first. The organizations today, the, and I touch on this at the at the beginning of the book in the introduction, the, the hometown associations today do a lot of what the mutual aid societies did in the 20s, and mutual aid societies and patriotic groups that, you know, and I talk about several of them of the 20s and 30s, you know, they served as a mutual aid society. In other words, they would, um, you'd pay monthly dues, and if you got sick, they would help pay your bills. If you died, they would pay for your funeral. Um, and that's the original, one of the original functions of the organization. But then they also became social uh, social organizations. People would get together in the monthly meetings, and that became a one way to to socialize, and it started creating more of a community. Several of these organizations by the Depression started to sponsor or start sports teams. And um, these sports teams were primarily baseball, some basketball in the winter, but, you know, that was the ma- main pastime for a lot of the men during the Depression. You have with these organizations also um, a political voice, sometimes with the help of the con- council, con- I'm sorry, the Mexican consul, sometimes in opposition to what the Mexican government wants. These organizations are there to try to protect the community. And uh, one, one of the points that I argue is that Although the Mexican workers were very pro-union, and that comes a lot, you know, for the most part from the Mexican Revolution, um, and they joined the union because of the discrimination not only in the workplace but in the union, they would join the union because they thought they thought that was important, but they wouldn't identify as a union member. They would identify more as a member of a mutual aid society or a patriotic, a Mexican patriotic organization. In, in the book, you make much of what um, uh, Mexican-Americans did to their physical environment um, where, where they lived in order to create community. Um, and, and you have some great uh, photographs and images in the book. Um, what are some of those things that uh, were done to, to create uh, in what, you, what are clearly very poor neighborhoods, but were done to the physical buildings and to the homes to, to create that sense of community that might have been lacking otherwise. I think, you know, to make the distinctness, make distinctiveness, make you feel like home, you know, you had businesses on Commercial Avenue and other major streets in South Chicago that had Spanish language uh, names. There were ads, you know, dance posters or just business ads in Spanish. It was very public. Um, and you would have, you could get a lot of the amenities, a lot of Mexican food because of the communities in Chicago, Northwest Indiana. You can get fresh tortillas, you can get fresh breads. It was, you know, trying as much as possible to recreate 
some of home, knowing that you're in a very polluted, dingy, drab industrial environment, you know, just make it that that much more livable. And and another way they did that is um, by well, the railroads. When the, I had mentioned when the railroads brought Mexicans up, they put a lot of the workers in um, boxcars. And there's boxcar colonies that that could have been or could be found in Chicago all the way up into the 70s. Um, these are sometimes men by themselves or solos, and sometimes with families would be given a boxcar at the house. If you had your family, that would be the family um, residence. You'd have a stove pipe, a stove in there for heating. And what the what people did with that is pretty amazing. They would, you know, make that home. You put up a picket fence. You know, you have chickens, you have flowers, you put permanent lighting on the outside. And it, you know, made the best of the situation. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the the athletics. Yes. In the community. Um, and this in the book is, is clearly more than just a, a passing thing. Um, why was the creation of these uh, baseball teams? And you have some, uh, again, you have some great photographs of, of the, the team, team pictures in the book. But, but why is baseball and the creation of these leagues more than just a passing thing? Why is it meaningful for these communities? In a lot of different levels, and there are several different levels. I think it's great for the kids and for the the young adults that are on the team. You know, everything that goes around that we think of with a with a team sport, the teamwork, the camaraderie, the the uh, identification with the team. But for the community, it became a little bit more. These teams needed, you know, needed money to to get uniforms and balls and bats. And the organizations, the mutual aid societies, uh, and some other organizations that, be, that were organized as athletic clubs would hold dances. And these these dances became community events. It, were, it was a big deal. You'd go to the dance sponsored by, you know, the the arrows, the blue arrows, or whatever group, whatever team. And, and there, you know, you have the sports team with not only with the players, but the community in dances. And then on top of that, what it meant to have a team you could root for as a community. South Chicago teams would play teams from other neighborhoods in Chicago and from Northwest Indiana. And, you know, think of high school sports today, you know, football in Texas is an extreme. Everybody, a lot of people in town identify with that team, and that creates, you know, a, a strong sense of community, whether the team wins or not. Right. It, it does beg the question, would Mexican immigrants to Chicago be more likely to be Cubs fans or White Sox fans? Were there allegiances along those lines, or, or was professional level baseball irrelevant to the community at that point? That's a great question, and I don't want to get in the middle of a a stocks Cubs argument, but uh, it, I, I think it depended. I, I didn't really find much discussion about that, but it did depend on what neighborhood. Because you had the people that were in the loop, and a few people above the loop in the near west side, um, and then you had people on the south side that I would assume are Sox fans, since there's a very strong north south divide in Chicago. 
Right, right. And and um, you write this uh, as a historian as in a time and place. But but I wonder if you can, you know, to the extent possible, take us up to today. Um, are these communities um, still there in the same place? Uh, did these uh, uh, Mexican immigrants stay in Chicago, stay in the country? Um, what's the, have you gone back to these uh, places? What, could, what can you say about the, the nature of Mexican migration to South Chicago today? Is it there? I have, there well, yeah, there, there is migration today that's very vibrant, and Chicago has become a leader as far as immigrant rights and um, protecting immigrant communities. Uh, let me throw a plug out there for a book, and then I'll, that deals with post-war Chicago, Mexican, and Puerto Ricans, and that's it's called Brown in the Windy City by Lilia Fernandez. It's the University of Chicago book, and it does a great job of focusing on Latino and Puerto Rican post-war community. Um, to answer your question directly, they South Chicago. Mexican South Chicago thrived um, post-war and you know went up and down with the steel industry, and there is a, a significant Mexican American community in South Chicago today. Uh, but the South Chicago today post-steel is much different than it was, um, you know, 40, 50 years ago. The near West Side, the area that was the main Mexican community in the 20s and 30s and up into the 40s. Mayor Daley had urban renewal in that area, and that's where they created um, or built the University of Illinois Chicago. So most Mexican immigrants and Mexican-Americans that were there were relocated to uh, the neighborhoods of Pilsen and Little Village, which are today the, which is today the cultural and in many ways the political hub of Latino uh, and Mexican-American, I should say, Chicago. Um, and po politics, politically today, you know, the the most senior Latino in the House of Representatives is a Chicago, is Puerto Rican Chicago representative, Luis Gutierrez, who's been very active in immigration issues. Sorry, I, I really did enjoy the book. I think it just covers covers a lot of ground and, and, and just tells some uh, really, really interesting stories. What's up next for you? Uh, what's, do you have a new, another book project uh, ahead of you? What's, what is on your research agenda for the summer and for the year to come? Uh, that's uh, still under construction. I, I do have um, some articles and maybe a book project coming out of what's Immigration of the South, uh, putting what's going on today in historical context since I've, since I've been down there since the beginning of HB 56 in Alabama and the coalitions that are being built between the African-American civil rights community and the immigration rights community, or immigrant rights community, I should say. But I also want to look at uh, interwar Mexican communities in the Midwest or in the Northeast. There were communities in several other cities that developed differently, and I'd like to see, you know, see how they developed and why they developed in that way. Wonderful. Well, I hope you come back with, with your next book Thank because you. I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, this book, Steel Barrio, The Great Mexican Integration, uh, sorry, The Great Mexican Migration to South Chicago, 1915 to 1940, published by NYU Press and available widely 
website, I'm sure on Amazon as well. Mike, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having me.